0: We thank you that uh, you're a God that uh, is one that wants us to <clears throat> be aware of uh, your plan that uh, you've laid it out clearly in your word and that uh, we need to respond to what you reveal and so as we look at this parable that it's very clear about uh, the response of us to your word uh, may we not be in the categories that are failure but yet we're individuals that are bringing forth much fruit because you've changed and transformed our lives. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. May we learn tonight. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> we are in Matthew 13 with the what are known as the parables of the kingdom. And as we said last week where we talked about trying to understand the kingdom... Of heaven we have to understand when it's talking about the kingdom of heaven it's not talking about heaven okay it's the kingdom of God the one that has got a heavenly king that is going to rule on earth and it goes back to Daniel chapter 7 where it's talking about the ancient of days who gives over to the kingdoms or the kingdoms of the world to the son of man and he is going to rule where kings had failed the Grecian Empire, or excuse me, the Babylonian, the Persian, the Grecian, the Roman Empire, where they all failed, he's going to come and rule and reign on earth. And with uh, him coming, and when he did, the world was looking for him to, well, the Jewish world was looking for him to set up a kingdom. Problem is, is that in Matthew chapter 12, the leaders, after having heard his messages and seeing his miracles that were demonstrations of what it's going to be like in the kingdom time, that's what those miracles were for, not just merely helping people, but to say, this is what it's gonna be like when he rules and reign. The Pharisees reject him. And at that point, he starts speaking in miracles, and you go, well, what's, uh, why is he starting to... Or, me, miracles, parables. Why is he doing this? Well, it's because he is now, what we would say, postpone the kingdom. This is why it's called the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It's not stuff that's been told in the Old Testament. You've got this delay that's now taking place and things that go on in that time frame. So a lot of these parables in Matthew 13, there's eight of them, will say the kingdom of uh, heaven is like unto. However, the very first one is not uh, that, it doesn't really even talk about the kingdom other than saying this this is the word of the kingdom uh, that's being shared. It's it's basically giving us what people and how people respond to the word both in our time and uh, even possibly in the kingdom time uh, where they'll respond to the word in certain ways uh, in their heart. And this is one of two parables, uh, those of you who haven't been with us, uh, this is one of two parables that's actually explained. Okay? There's only two that are explained. The rest of them you have to figure out by context what's being talked about. Uh, and so context is very important when it comes to the parables however uh, this one and the parable of the tares later on in this are both explained and so we actually uh, don't have to really go all that far to try and get the answers of what's going on. I want us to read the details of the parable just to start off with and going through verse 1 and uh, through verse 9 uh, of Matthew chapter 13. This parable of the And I call it the soils. The Lord calls it the sower, but it's about the soils more than it is the sower. Uh, And uh, we'll look at this here. So verse 1, it says this, "...the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow." And when he had sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell onto good ground and brought forth fruit: some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And then this statement, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now understand, when you see that in the Gospels, he's not just merely saying, uh, hear what I'm saying. You know, you've got ears, okay, hear what I'm saying. It's hearing with comprehension, understanding. Okay, I gave the illustration this morning because it was fresh in my mind uh was talking my wife was talking to Mrs. Blanton this morning as she was there and and whatever and my wife said uh before you go out make sure you you know kick up the thermostat because it's a little cold in here and uh we finished talking and I went out and I was on my way out and I turned around and come back and she was getting up to turn the thermostat and I said I heard you you know, you, you know, I heard with comprehension. It was just merely, you know, you said something and it bounced off my ears. I heard you. Um, and that's what the Lord's saying, is that you hear with comprehension. Okay, this, this parable I'm just giving you is not just merely a story that you just, you know, bounces off your eardrums and it, it's, it's entertaining. It's something you need to think about and comprehend what it actually means. For us, uh, it is a a parable that is probably familiar, but we will still go through the details initially before we go through the explanation because this would have been a, a parable that was familiar to the culture at large. In fact, some suggest when it comes to this parable that there may have been someone who was actually sowing at the time because he says, behold... Okay, so he may have been using the illustration that it was uh, planting season, and so it was that uh, time, and so that may very well been uh, what was going on. But for these people, it would have been familiar with what was going on here. You have the story where the sower, you find in your notes there, is casting randomly, or we would say uh, that he is broadcasting that's what he's doing, the blank that's there. And you go, what do you mean by broadcasting? We usually think of that with TV and radio, but what's going on with that? They put a antenna up, it shoots and spreads everywhere, hoping that you will turn your radio on and pick up whatever is being communicated or you know, it used to be your TV, and you, know, you turn that on and it would do that, not much anymore that that really happens. But what you would do is that if you were sowing seed, you'd normally have a um, some sort of, not... Purse, but you know, bag on the side here, and you would reach in, you'd grab the seed that's there, and you would start just throwing it. It's not like corn where you're planting it one by one. This is just you're throwing it, and wherever it falls, that's where it's going to end up growing. It's the fastest way to sow a field. And so when you have this wheat harvest that they would have been doing, he would have been going through and just merely casting, broadcasting abroad, uh, the seed that was there, and so it spreads across the ground. And you say it sounds kind of haphazard, but it works. Uh, We do this in modern terms. They just have a spreader in the back that shoots it all over the place. But the first soil that you have here is uh, described as wayside soil, Um, I would put it this way. The first soil is hardened pathway ground. Uh, You can walk on dirt enough that it is so compacted that it is like throwing stuff on cement or stone. Uh, I got a little familiar with this concept. We had, uh, when I was young, we had a dog with a generic name Lassie. Um, It was a collie. It was actually a sheltie, so it had all the coloring and the long hair of a, Uh, a um, collie and it um, was given free reign of our backyard our backyard had a six-foot high wood stockade fence all the way around it and uh, we had a porch and a second-level porch that the dog could go up on and what it would do is it would sit there on the porch and then periodically go down and run around the yard just to make sure that everything's secure because that's what shelties and collies and border collies do is they kind of are there protecting their, ter- their turf, just making sure it's safe. That when I would have to mow the lawn, it got to the point where I never had to worry about doing any sort of weed eating uh, right by the fence line because the path had been worn so much that that dog had done this every hour, not on the hour, but pretty close to it, gone around there and had worn a path that I never had to mow there. Nothing grew, didn't matter. Weeds didn't grow there. The ones that always seemed to grow everywhere else in the yard didn't grow there. Nothing grew there. And that's what you have here. You have pathways that would lead through the field. We eventually have a story where the Pharisees are upset because the uh, disciples are going through a field and they're grabbing wheat and they're, well, tilling it in their hands, which they called that work. But that's what they're doing. You would have these pathways that would go through and they're used every year uh, to cut through fields if you wanted to without destroying the crops. That's what you have here. Seed that's thrown here, it doesn't penetrate at all, and the birds love it because it's easy to get to and pull up. And so that's, that's the first soil, and so people would have been familiar with this. They would have traversed uh, this type of ground uh, before. The second soil that you have is a thin layer of soil on top of a solid... Okay, I'm, I'm saying this, a solid rock layer. And I have that there because uh, I want you to understand... It's not like here or it's like in New England. It's very clear in New England that every year uh, they grow new rocks. What happens is that you have the frost freeze and all of this and it it pushes up rocks that are in the ground and this is why you go throughout New England and they've got these low-lying fences because they're constantly finding these rocks that are coming up. And you find this in the Midwest if you've ever gardened. You've gardened a place time and time again and all of a sudden there's a what's this? A rock. You know, how did this get here? I've been, you know, doing this year after year. That's not what we're talking about here where you have just, you know, rocks all over the place. What you have is a very thin layer of dirt on top of a solid rock layer that could have gone for miles. Um, In some places, uh, the dirt was not, uh, you know, perhaps through washing out or other things that the dirt wasn't very thick. And as a result of this, when seed would fall on this, it would have the initial dirt that would cause the process of uh, a root to come out and all of this, but it wouldn't get very far because it would soon hit the layer that's there. It was a very dry layer. The water would run off uh, those areas because it wouldn't stay in place. And it would very quickly, when the sun came out, it would be the first stuff to die because there was no deepness of root. And so that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about the the rocky soil. It's not our soil over there. They're familiar with this where you have areas where uh, you have a very thick rock layer underneath uh, a very thin coat of dirt. Third soil is weed infested. Uh, The seed takes root, but eventually it dies due to lack of nutrients and water that the weeds are stealing. Uh, my whole thing when I was a kid, we'd have a garden, and I was, or a garden, It wasn't like really a garden, it was more a flower garden, um, but it was my job to go out and make sure I pulled all the weeds, and it's like, you know what, you yeah, the weeds are growing just fine, why can't the plants, you know, just do this, and they grow on their own, be okay, but the nature of weeds are, is that they sap water uh, they they bring in water very quickly. They sap the water out of it, and they grow very quickly, which then means they block sunlight, uh, so the plants that are legitimate can't grow, and that's what you had here: a, a field filled with, uh, an area filled with weed uh, weeds of some kind that grew quickly, and uh, it was not an area that these seeds could grow quickly and survive. Uh, they might grow initially, but if the weeds uh, grew at the rate they normally did, then things would die. And so lack of nutrients, water being stolen, uh, these plants grow initially but don't have anything. In fact, they're described as becoming unfruitful. The idea is they don't ever bring forth fruit because they're never healthy enough. It's not the case. Last soil, four soil is good. Okay, the seed takes root eventually brings forth an abundant harvest. Okay, 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. You think about this, you can take a kernel of corn, drop it in the ground, and suddenly you have a corn stalk that has multiple corn cobs on it that you can then plant a whole bunch of other if you want to, or you get to eat this. Uh, it's not just producing one kernel from the stock that's there. Same with wheat, you throw a bit of wheat in the ground and that uh, kernel there uh, will produce a whole bunch of wheat in that stock, and perhaps multiple stocks, and you'll be able to, to multiply it out. That's what's expected, that's normal, that's healthy. And so this good field is one where there's no weeds, there is an abundant uh, ability for this uh, plant to grow and it brings forth an abundant harvest. So that's the story. And realize this, the disciples realize the Lord's telling a story. He doesn't explain it. He's telling a story about, you know, sowing and that, and it's just kind of like, okay, you know, that's interesting. They come in, and we've had this whole explanation section where the Lord is doing parables to hide from some people, and that's one of the purposes. We think, oh, it makes things clear. No, it was designed to hide. You don't put any effort in. It's just a story. Okay, fine. That was for the Pharisees. Um, but for the disciples in verse 11, chapter 13, the Lord uh, answered them and said, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Okay, you can understand these things, they won't understand. In fact, you'll understand it better because of the parables, the things I'm trying to explain. So he then goes into the explanation. I just want to read through the explanation where he finally goes, Okay. I wasn't just telling a nice story to entertain people. I was actually uh, having a purpose in this story. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 13 says this, "'Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. "'When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom "'and understandeth it not, "'then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away "'that which was sown in his heart. "'This is he which receives seed by the wayside. "'But he that received the seed in the stony places "'is the same as he that heareth the word.'" Anon, uh, and that's just, uh, you go, what's Anon? Okay. Anon is translated elsewhere in our Bible, straightway or immediately. Okay. So it's just saying this immediately. They receive it with joy. There's an excitement initially uh, about this. But, verse 21, yet he hath he not written himself, but endureth for a while, and when tribulation and persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth seed on a good ground is he that heareth the word, understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So the interpretation of the parables is simply this the seed is and it's described in the three different places where this parable is given. It's described either as the word, the word of God, or the word of the kingdom. But whatever it uh, is, the message that's being laid out, it is uh, the message of the kingdom. And you think about what Jesus has been preaching to this point uh, before he stops preaching about the kingdom being at hand. Remember, at this point, he no longer says the kingdom is at hand. But before this, he's preaching a message, repent. And part of that, he's also saying, believe the good news. Okay, that there is a kingdom that is coming uh, and that you believe that there's a king coming. It's a Psalm 2 aspect that you uh, hear that the king is coming and you, well, you kiss the son is the, the statement that's there. You, you pay homage to the son and you believe on him. Blessed is he that trusteth in the name of the Lord. I mean, this is a, a statement of Psalm 2. So he's preaching this message that you can enjoy fellowship with God. You can enjoy the things that God is providing as long as you repent Believe uh, this good news, and that's kind of the part of this message initially that he's talking about. But with it being the word, he's basically talking about everything that God talks about. A person welcomes this, makes a home for this, is enjoying this. Uh, but it's any time the word of God is preached. It's what we have talked about here. You say, okay, so what's uh, the soils represent? Well, the soils represent different kinds of hearts. Okay, the heart is uh, where our seat of emotions, our will, our thought process, uh, what we are is the heart, it's the Old Testament idea. But in this case, uh, as you go through, I'm gonna alliterate this, I don't normally do that, but uh, for you to remember these different kinds of heart, uh, we'll try and come up with something for you to remember it. So the very first heart that you have there is the dull heart, D-U-L-L, the dull heart. Uh, this is the heart that has no sensitivity. Okay, it's dull doll of senses, and we can put it that way. This heart does not even give the word of God a hearing. Okay, and then the blank there is Satan is able to snatch the word away before it can even attempt to take root. And as a pastor, I, I see this quite often. You know, you may not see it as much, but uh, I have occasions where I've preached and I know someone is in the service against their will. And you're preaching, and you can tell there's nothing going in. There, there's no obvious. In fact, there there is an animosity. So anything that I'm saying is not even pe- penetrating. In fact, it is so easy for them. So easy for them. They are easily distracted thoughts that go on in their head, you know, they're mad at the preacher, look at what's going on in here, can't believe it. And they're so distracted that it doesn't matter, it's like the words are just bouncing off of them and they don't remember it any longer and the, Lord, or the, the devil is not going to help them remember these things. He's just going to snatch it away, he's going to distract them with uh, different things and ideas. You've had this when you've talked to family members, friends, and you talk to them and you can just tell, nothing's going through, not going to happen. Uh, you know, It's almost as if they're singing a song in their head you know, as you're talking, uh, they're trying to drown you out. And there are people like this all over the world when it comes to the hearing of God's word, this is what they're like. It, it just does not penetrate, there's no sensitivity to it and they easily forget what is said. Now I will put this side note in. That's not to say that when you are giving the gospel, you can't always tell there may be stuff going on there. But this is what regularly happens with a lot of people: is they just go, "This is this is crazy, weird, uh, and I want nothing to do with it. I'm not taking it in, not observing any of this." And it's like a shield that they have uh, that is protecting them from anything you say. And so this is the dull heart. Uh, and you have a lot of people when it comes to the kingdom. And I think probably the dull heart in Jesus's time would be the Pharisees. I mean, he says all sorts of things, and they, you know, they, they've got the arms folded. You know, he's forgiving sin; he's just healed somebody. He forgives sin, and they're still sitting there going, "Can't believe he's doing this," and they're missing everything. So, uh, I would. Probably in Jesus' day, the, the, the Pharisees would be this kind of uh, individual, the dull heart. At the top of the page in the back, you have, s- second of all, the deserting heart, okay? And understand, it's, you have to spell it correctly, because deserting heart would be D-E-S-S-E-R-T-I-N-G, and that means you love your sweets, okay? Um, we're talking about the deserting heart in the sense of being a traitor or abandoning something. <clears throat> And the statement there is this heart initially seems to accept the word. Okay, the the, the person here seems to accept the word, but when pressure and heat comes from friends, family, circumstances, this heart abandons everything they've heard. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. The first three hearts that we're going to look at aren't saved. But here I'm, I'm going to say this, it looks like they may have been. Because here you got somebody that goes, oh, I get heaven? I get to be with God forever? Wow, this is exciting. Think in Jesus' time, he's got whole crowds of people that are hearing this. He's the king. Oh, hey, this is that, you know, he's going to bring priests on earth, goodwill to man. Great, fantastic. Oh, he can feed us? Five loaves, two fish? Wow, look at, he does miracles. And so they look like they're followers of Jesus. But you begin to see when Jesus starts really teaching and preaching and starts bringing some pressure on them, especially in John 6, he starts talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, and it's like, you know, they leave him and don't follow after him anymore. You're like, well, these people were fervent and excited about following him. Um, I gave the illustration this morning. I remember being... uh, A youth at one time uh not a youth pastor but actually being a a teen uh in a youth group um and i remember an occasion where we had a young man by the name of joe he was uh rode the buses for a time uh but he liked to ride his uh what do you call it a dirt bike it's not the motorized dirt bike but he had a dirt bike that he rode everywhere but he uh, attended some uh, thing during the summer uh, where we had an outreach, and I remember him getting saved, and and, uh, and I put that in quotes, getting saved and being excited about this. You know, oh, wow, I've never heard this before. This is fantastic, great, good. And for about a month and a half, he's attending Wednesday nights. He's there Sunday mornings. He, you know, if he can't get there otherwise, they had the bus that would come and pick him up and whatever, and he would be there. And we hit the school year. Okay, so this is summertime. But we hit the school year, and when he got back with his friends that he didn't see all the summer and got back together with them, we never saw him again. Now, some people went and talked to him and said, hey, Joe, what's going on? You know, you've been here coming. What's, you know, why you aren't coming? Ah, well, you know, I and we come to find out that his friends thought he was nuts his family thought he was nuts now his family was the type of family that was just like listen you know you bring this up in our home it was a kind of a broken home as it was but he's just like listen you keep bringing this up we'll just tell you to get out of here never came back Was he saved? I I don't know, because I can't read a heart, but by all indicators, he's kind of like this soil where there's an excitement initially about hearing this stuff, you know, okay, heaven, you know, forgiveness of sins. There's people that are excited about this. They seem to be nice people. There's an excitement about and surrounding this, but there wasn't a saving faith. There wasn't a full dependence put on Christ. Something happened, but it's not a saving faith. You can have a faith, the devils have faith, but it's not a faith that believes and puts their complete dependence on it. And I would suggest that that's what you have here, is a person that is one who has this, but the heat comes, you know, the fire comes, and they just kind of break. Um, You see this, I would say you'd see this less in many other countries, If we're talking the Middle East or Asia or places like that and you say I'm going to follow Jesus Christ you just don't do this haphazardly but in our culture it's kind of okay and cool to do this and you find this to be the case but then when all of a sudden pressure does come in our culture it's just people calling you names or whatever Uh, but other cultures they actually will say you're out of this house. You know, you no longer see us again. We will not be a part of your family uh, for that. And for some, that will break them. They will go, okay, you know what? Fine, I'll give up what I've just heard uh, because I can't give up family. I can't give up these things. It happens. So that's the deserting heart, okay? It seems like, okay, part of, part of this whole thing that's going on with Christ, but they abandon Christ. So you have the, the deserting heart. The third one you have, uh, verse 22, is the, I would call it this way, the distracted heart. The distracted heart. This heart also looks like it accepts the word, okay? All the statements of it and believe this. In fact, some like to see this, this person or this heart as saved because the plant begins to grow However the plant never brings forth fruit, a believer has fruit. It says it becomes unfruitful. It doesn't bring forth fruit. You know, it grows, but it doesn't get to the point where it's giving what it's supposed to be. So that blank there is the fruit. Now, the Lord actually gives this, but we have a broader spectrum of things that can be distracting to individuals given in the other parables. Here we're told in verse 20 through 22 that it is the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, Mark 4.19 talks about the cares of the world, okay, so this is your blanks here, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things, okay, these things strangle any hearing and saving faith in the word, let's just talk through these three things first of all the cares of this world do you realize and when we have that word care it's the word anxiety there's a lot of things to be worried about you can spend your time worrying about almost anything you know i heard someone talking this morning and they were worried about this new virus i'm like what new virus you know what new virus then I, you know, saw the news feed when I came back, and I sat down and looked at the news, and it was like, oh, Mar- Marburg virus. I'm like, you know, five people died. Well, you know, okay, this could be really bad. You know, whatever. But they're talking about this, and you, you have this. I, you, you watch the news, and it's it's designed to create anxiety. You know, your 401k could be in the wrong bank. You know. It seems like every bank's the wrong bank right now, but, uh, you know, it could be in the wrong bank, and it could fold and collapse, and all of this, and, you know, there could be a war, and whatever, China and Russia are patting each other on the back right now, and uh, you you just go, and there are things for you to be anxious about and worry about all the time and try and prep yourself for, and uh, this suddenly becomes your life, trying to protect yourself because you're anxious and worried about things. You have that type of thing going on. That's what we mean by the cares of this world. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. It, it's there, and it can cause anxiety, worry. It can take up a lot of uh, your mind and your time uh, worrying about it. You have the deceitfulness of riches. Okay, I think we understand this, that uh, money is not the solution to things, but there's a lot of people who, uh, in warning in First Timothy chapter 6, it's not money that is the root of all evil, it's the love of money. It's the pursuit, the desire of setting your self- affection on this that uh, drowns men in destruction and perdition. They do a lot of foolish things because they're in pursuing money and they're trying to to get this, uh, you know, whatever they can to protect themselves and give them uh, the best that they possibly can have. The last one, the lust of other things that uh, you find there is just simply stuff that's okay, but you set your desires on it and it becomes an idol. Okay, that, that's what it becomes. It's, that is the most important thing. Uh, I would say, you know, things like recreational hobbies become the absorbing thing for individuals. I, this morning I, I brought this up and I had thought a little bit more about it this afternoon and I, I think this is the, this heart here is the heart of uh, first world culture. You know, Third world doesn't really worrying about money and they do have cares and anxieties and they don't have the lust of other things because they're basi- basically scraping to try and get by in life. Our problem in first world culture is that we have so much free time and extra time and extra things and whatever else that these things begin to absorb our time. Uh, hobbies become gods. You know, we, we don't have gods that we worship that have multiple arms but we've got things that just become the consuming passion of life. I got enough uh, individuals in here that are involved in music. Do you realize for some people, music becomes all-consuming? That's it. That's the only thing in life for some people. That's it. Life is music. Uh, You have people that, uh, for them, gaming is the thing. That's all about gaming, and you're just kind of like, okay, I'm going to give my life to this, and it may not necessarily be bad, though there are elements of it that uh, can be very destructive as far as just your morality, but the fact is is they, they will do this all the time, they give themselves to it, and they never think about anything else because this is just consuming their mind and their thought patterns and whatever else, they don't think about anything else. This is what happens to individuals they, they, in our culture, they say, yes, we're part of, you know, we're Christians, all of this, but you look at their lives and it's worrying, chasing the almighty dollar, or they're going after and pursuing whatever brings them joy, fulfills their desires, whatever they may be, and they give their life to them, and they really never do give consideration to what the word really says. And you will have a number of people, the Lord pronounced this uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, there's going to be individuals that say this, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and done done many wonderful works? I I think we're going to be a lot of people like that in in our culture, our society. They're going to go, well, you know, we went to church. We voiced every Sunday words of, you know, that said things about you. But their whole life was everything else. And you kind of go, so are you saying that some of those people are not saved? And the answer is yes, that's the, the indicator here. Okay, they don't have fruit. Even though they look like they could be. But there's things in this life, in this world, and their, their whole being that is just simply choking out the word so that they really aren't considering the demands and the call of the word of what God's saying. So you have those three soils. Those three soils are, hey, not good soils. I would say in our our modern vernacular, they're not saved. The fourth soil, and I'm going to put it this way, is a developing heart, okay? There's things going on here. You see things happening. It's obvious that there's growth. This heart accepts the word completely. This is a person who casts their entire dependence on God and his word. Okay, there, there's a point in time where they just go, this is it, and I need this more than anything else. And they grasp onto this. This heart grows and displays the seed's development by bringing forth fruit. Now I, I put this way, this fruit is a display of the Spirit's working in the life of this heart. What happens to a person when they get saved? It's not that they suddenly start producing fruit themselves. There's a working of God that takes place in their life. And this is why you have in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And you go through that whole listing there of nine different virtues. Uh, that the Spirit displays itself and you say if a person's saved they're going to have some indicators that they are the answer is yes by their fruits ye shall know them and this is not a new concept that the lord's throwing out here where he's suddenly saying a person will show that they've accepted the word by fruit You go back to the previous chapter in Matthew chapter 12 where you have these Pharisees who are declaring that Jesus does good works by Beelzebub. He's casting out demons and doing all of this. And the Lord's response to this is, um, okay, you've committed a sin that's unforgivable. But verse 33... Either you make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. And he's simply saying, "Listen, by what you're doing here, you're making it obvious indicators that you don't have real fruit. You're corrupt to the core. In fact he goes on, verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. And I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by the words thou shalt be, for by thy words thou shalt be justified and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Okay. You're going to see obvious fruit even from a person's mouth that there's been a change take place. Something's gone on. There's good work going on that the God is going to perform until the day of Jesus Christ. And so what you have with this and some people have and I remember hearing this when I was a teenager that they said, "Okay, this this hundredfold, sixtyfold, 30fold is people getting saved." And you're like, "No, that's not what is being indicated here." Okay. though that is a part at least of the the understanding is that there is going to be a proclamation of the word that has had impact on your life. I mean you're going to declare this and that's going to be something that you wouldn't have done before you were saved. Now after you're saved you are going to declare the things of God to others uh, and that is going to be the case but it's not saying you know listen if you don't have 30 or 60 or 100 people saved by the time you die, you know, you, you're, you really you know better check your salvation here because you, you might not be there. No, it's just simply describing this, that the good works are obvious, that something's gone on to change, and this is not natural what's going on, but there are things there that are indicating this person has absorbed what has been said and proclaimed, and they've put their faith in it, and there's a transformation that's taken place because they have a relationship with God. This brings us to the conclusion there at the bottom. Only the fourth heart is commended. Okay. The other three fail in having saving faith that would result in fruit. Fruit is expected from the one who has accepted the word. So you, you get done here and you just kind of go, okay, the first three, because I, 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 have, had, I have heard sermons where they, people try and argue that the third one is saved. And you're going, that's not why he's giving the parable. He's saying, you're going to indicate by fruit That you're saved, and number three doesn't really have fruit. There's, you know, they're doing stuff, maybe, but there isn't something supernatural going on where it's obvious that something's transformed in their life and that there's fruit coming forth. And so the first three are not safe categories. The fourth one is the one that you want to be in, that you're one who's accepted the word readily. You've got good ground. The Old Testament would talk about break up the 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 ground of your heart you know this is the 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 type of terminology there that you're breaking up the ground of your heart so you're ready to receive the word and that's what you have here is a person that readily receives what god says welcomes it accepts it puts their faith on it and they're transformed and different so all the people that he's talking about would have been surrounding him, standing there, the Pharisees, people who had all the cares of this life, people who were having pressure from families going, listen why are you following after that? You know, this is really going to become the case for the Jews after Jesus leaves. You know, you're leaving our religion, this is our family religion for thousands of years. And the persecution of Christians starts with the Jews first. Their families are kicking them out and you have some that turn back, that's why the book of Hebrews had to be written because It's just simply saying, what you've received, Christ is better. All these things about Christ are much better. Why would you want to go back to that old way of death and dying and no life uh, that is there? So that's what the parable is. So it's a starting off point saying, okay, you just need to come and believe what you hear given to you by God. Have faith in this, it will transform you. Uh, and then he's going to talk about some of the other aspects of what's going on as a result of people being transformed and changing uh, in their lives. Any questions on this? Uh, we had some good discussions this morning. Questions, ideas, thoughts, things that popped in your head? Yes. Even though the third one you say, say is it, it's familiar to us, sometimes we let things choke out. Mm-hmm. We do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cares, anxieties, and deceitfulness of riches. We do do the same activity, but there also ought to be, and when you read through 1 John, 1 John's indicating that you're seeing fruit. You know there's stuff going on. That's one of the indicators. The Spirit is indicating when you hear certain things, there's the Spirit's yelling, you know. (laughs) You know, I agree with this. Uh, And um, that you're not continually sinning someone asked this morning, they said, what about um, now they asked and they said, I have a nephew who supposedly is saved and has rejected the Lord. And you're going, do they have any indicator of fruit? She goes, no, it doesn't seem to have any fruit. And you say, well, listen, if they've, they've come to accept Christ, sooner or later they're going to come back because the Spirit is going to be working them over. They're going to come back. And you use the illustration of Peter. Did Peter, you know, did Peter deny the Lord? Okay, that's, that's big. He denied the Lord, but are you going, was he in a different camp? And the answer is no, he's, he's already been declared that you are clean. You know, you're saved. Um, but he does act like an unsaved person. So you do have those elements. Yes? And sometimes when someone makes a profession, they get saved, we as human beings kind of go, okay, good, I'll keep my eye on you and see if it bears out and how you live. Yeah. So, what is your comment about that? It, it's, it's natural, I mean, we don't know, we want to be excited, but... Yeah. Know, to, to use the, the, the statement around Reagan, trust but verify. Uh, um, you know uh, that there are things that go on, and you just kind of go, you know, praise the Lord for that. But you know, you do some grilling. You should be excited when. Yes. are yeah. Well, the opposite. The opposite of that was the, the, those three stories: lost coins, lost sheep that the whole story at the end is about the older brother who's got his arms folded, which represent the Pharisees they are going, I can't believe those people are actually allowed into the kingdom. And the statement is, God's excited, I mean, because it's not the angels that are rejoicing, it's God in the presence of the angels is rejoicing over these ones who have been saved. That's the rejoicing that goes on. And so, you know, the attitude there is basically saying, you know, don't go, oh man, I can't believe that person, you know, the Lord let them in, you know. I'm so good. Uh you know, hey, he let me in, but no, they're not they're not them. Um that's kind of what's being dealt with there. But there there ought to be excitement when people get saved. But you also you know, you do some grilling. Uh, yeah, you, you do you do some digging because you have these three categories and a couple of them look like initially they've come to Christ, but you're finding out there's not really dependence. It's everything that's surrounding this that they want or so, yeah. Yep. Anybody else? Yep, Tim. I thought it was interesting. It's actually more for the earlier in chapter 12 where he talks about the passage, you know, and you'll know them by your fruit. And I heard somebody was trying to say, well, see, like, you need fruit, and that's how you get saved, and by having this fruit mm-hmm. this is what saves you. But, um, and then I heard also <coughs> saw and heard explain, it's like, well very specific that you will know them by their fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the fruit shows who they are. It's not that the fruit makes them who they are, yeah. but it's who they are will cause fruit. Yeah. Because the Pharisees are just blurting this stuff out, and it's obvious because you're going, they don't get this. They aren't a part of this, and it just comes, it flows out of them naturally. Whereas believers supernaturally have things that flow out of them that they would never do as an unsaved person, and it comes, well, naturally, but supernaturally, there's a change, yeah, so. Anyone else? Andrew? I I wonder, too, if there's maybe marriage or not necessarily viewing, trying to put people in one of four categories, Mm. but the purpose is for me as an individual to evaluate my own heart Mm. and see where I fall maybe overlapping some of those, yeah. like Mrs. Anderson said, Yeah, and then maybe serve as a warning against yeah. going in that direction. The, the, so that we try to yeah. the secondary application of this is, it's the initial response that he's uh, impacting, but can we be like these individuals in these categories? I mean, put it this way, have you ever walked in a church service and walked back out and don't even remember what the pastor preached? You're kind of going, uh, what's that put me in? First category. You know, you had all sorts of other things. You, you know, stuff, stuff happened at home, and um, you, you know, get to church, and you're just there, but, you know, you aren't even thinking about this, and so, you know, someone comes out and goes, wasn't that a good sermon? And you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we do this. So, you know, it, it, the secondary application is that we can be like this when it comes to the receiving of the word. The initial one is that he's trying to get people to accept the message of the kingdom, what that is, and they're going to have a response to it. But we can fall into these categories fairly easily. So, yeah, at any time. Yes? I just thought verse 23, (coughs) talking about the good soil, Mm -hmm. um, in which you uh, described as the developing herd. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just wondering if you could unpack it any more, but I thought it was interesting to note at the end of that verse 23, he talks about he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, another 60, and another 30. Mm-hmm. And the way that strikes me is like there's different levels of fruit that Christians produce and mm-hmm. maybe you could even say different levels of spirituality in their life. You you know, yeah, I, you're, you're, you're talking about different levels of spirituality and you see some people that are you know, just completely consumed and they, they are bringing forth fruit everywhere but that's not to say you see somebody else who's you know not on that whole level of where you're at, and you're going, well, you know, you're not really, you know, you're not bringing, you know, you're not really where you should be at, and the Lord's going, okay, there's some people who are just as saved as you are, that are producing less fruit, the Lord's doing a work in them, but it may not be at the same level as what's going on in somebody else where it's just, you know, you're seeing obvious things go on, so, yeah. yeah. So like you know, It would be. It would be. So, and that's not to say that it can change over time. I mean, it can, people, so.